Well, as the church, we're called to confess. So in spirit of confession, how many of you have ever purchased a piece of exercise equipment that is now sitting unused in a corner of your house? I was so proud of my Amazon purchase. I got a treadmill for like $250. It's like, this is amazing, and it looks beautiful in my corner of the basement. But uh, are you familiar with that phrase, gently used? Um, I, you know, what that means is that you brought something, um, something was brand new, and it has barely been used, so we, we just phrase it, we term, you give it the term gently used. I love to shop at, it's like one of my, oh, me and this microphone. Oh, by the way, my name's Amber, I'm one of the pastors here, and um, the microphone doesn't like me. We, we, we battle often, so, anywho. Okay, so, um, yeah, I love to shop at Goodwill. I love finding clothes that have been gently used or not used at all. Uh, I love thrift shopping. I just, I get a total thrill out of it. Um, Do you know that you can save hundreds of dollars, even thousands of dollars by searching on like the swaps on Facebook, the marketplace? You can buy gently used stuff all the time. And exercise equipment is one of the most gently used items that you can buy from there. And the interesting thing about fitness equipment is that the original purchasers, the people who originally bought it, um, we have a reason for purchasing said equipment in the first place. I mean, I think we all have this in common. And the reason we bought it in the first place is because we were all believers, right? We believed that if we bought this equipment, it would improve our health. We believe what we knew about this. We believe that exercise, that getting in our cardio or building our muscles would help strengthen us and improve our health. And the reason that we can sell these items as gently used, and the reason you can buy it um, is because, um, not, it's not because we didn't believe in it, it's because we didn't actually use it. Amen? Amen. Oftentimes when it comes to exercise equipment, people don't act on what they believe. And whether it's our food or our nutrition or exercise, it, what you believe about it actually makes no difference at all. In fact, I think we probably all believe basically the same thing about health, that food and exercise and all that will make you healthier. We're probably all believers in this. But the truth is believing doesn't make any difference. Doing is what makes the difference. Would you agree? In fact, um, how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, but um, how many of you have exercised with a bad attitude? Right? You didn't want to do it, right? You just, but you did it anyway. I remember I was, uh, John and I had, John uh, proposed to me, we got engaged, and then he moved away to Maryland and said, I love you, honey, let's get married. I'm going to move and you plan the wedding in our life. And I was like, okay, this is great. Um, it actually worked out really well because I got to make all the decisions, which was nice. But anyway, while he was in Maryland, I was in Orlando and I had a roommate. Her name was Kara Kane, and she was ruthless. And I wanted to get in shape for my wedding. And um, she would wake me up every day at 4.45 and she would shame me out of bed to go run laps around Lake Eola. And this was the beginning of my love-hate relationship with running. But I could remember running that lap like, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. Every single step, because if you've ever tried running, it's not easy. And um, anyway, I just remember thinking how much I hated doing it. But 
the beautiful thing about running is, is uh, you can actually not even believe in it and it will work, right? You can, like, you can believe that it doesn't do any good and then you can exercise and it will actually do good. So it's no difference that, that believing in it doesn't really make any difference with it changing your life. This is true in a lot of areas in our lives and some we're gonna talk about this morning. But um, one of the other things that's very true about exercise and it crosses other areas is that, um, in, don't you believe that having a partner makes all the difference? I mean, having Kara to kick my butt out of bed made all the difference in the world. It is so much easier to talk ourselves out of exercising. How many of you have set the alarm like, okay, Monday I'm going to start, I'm going I'm to go and I'm going to go to the gym or whatever. And then if no one's going to meet you there or you're not accountable to anyone or you haven't paid for a personal trainer or whatever, it is so much easier to turn that button off your snooze and stay in bed. Am I right? Yes. Um, but the truth is, when it comes to accountability in every area of our life, accountability, accountability actually counts. It actually counts. Now, you would have guessed, because we're sitting in church today, that these two separate dynamics, uh, believing doesn't make any difference, it's doing what makes a difference, and accountability actually counts, they hold true in our faith journeys as well. Every Christian, if you're a Christian Every Christian basically believes the same thing. It's why we're called believers. We believe in Jesus. There's something that you believe that, that matches with other believers in the country and other believers throughout the world. It's what's central to our faith. And the other thing you also know is that all believers don't actually act on what they believe. I mean, it's kind of like exercise, but we believe what the New Testament teaches. You know, we believe that Jesus was who Jesus said he was, that he did exactly what he said he would do, that he was the Son of God. We believe what he taught, but we don't actually forgive the way he told us to forgive, and we don't actually love our enemies. And some of you haven't been baptized. Jesus was clear about baptism. And even though Jesus is really clear about giving financially our, our resources, our money to the church, we don't give. We just come up with ways, reasons why. And it's difficult times for us to put other people first ahead of our own agenda, but we, we just, you know, do whatever we want to do. But if anyone attacks your faith and what you believe, you can go on the offense defense very quickly, right? But it's not believing that makes a difference. It's what we do with the belief. It's how we act on what we believe. And if you've been a part of our church or if this is your first time here, part of our vision is that we, we know and be known by God, we belong, and we be loved. There is an action word in our vision that we are to act on what it is that we are learning. And Jesus has a word for this. The definition for Jesus in doing this is to follow. You want to actually do the things that you've decided to do is that you follow, you follow Jesus. Because of many of us have discovered, and as you're going to hear us say over and over, is that it is that following Jesus it is what makes a difference, not just believing. Following Jesus will make your life better, will make your family's life better, and makes the world a better place. It's what we are called to do. And you cannot follow Jesus all by yourself. It is a team sport. It's an all-in, it's a we, it's a one-another thing. 
See, Paul wrote, uh, as you know, if we talk about Paul, he became, he first started out wanting to persecute all the Christians and take the Christian, the, the church, put it out of business. And then he had this encounter with Jesus. And then he said, actually, I'm going to give my life. I'm going to devote my life to following Jesus. And I'm going to go around and I'm going to teach people what Jesus wants us to know. And he came up with this one another list. He said, this is what it looks like to actually follow Jesus. He says, forgive one another accept one another, care for one another, encourage one another, submit to one another, restore one another, carry one another's burdens, and bear with one another. If you were here with us last week, we went through some of those passages together. And Paul would say, if you're a Jesus follower, this is what it looks like, this one another list. And you might be thinking, well, I thought if I, to follow Jesus meant that I just like went to church and I read my Bible and I tried not to be like overtly mean to anyone. Um, and Paul's like, that's just not how it is. You're trying to do the Christian thing solo. And you can't do this alone. And the point is this. You, it's not enough to believe it privately. You have to behave it publicly. It's not enough simply to believe it privately because belief doesn't make any practical difference. It's doing that makes the difference. When I grew up, I grew up in a very, um, very uh, strict uh, upbringing. My church, my version of Christianity was very vertical. I mean, it was very much accept Jesus into my heart, live a, a life that Jesus would like. And that really just meant like saying the sinner's prayer over and over, you know, asking for forgiveness, not sinning, um, going to church, giving money, and, and then we're all good. And then I'll go to heaven when I die. Um, and the problem with that, it's very vertical, and what we could end up being is a very self-centered Christian. Maybe you know some self-centered, self-righteous Christians who have very just vertical orientation toward God and toward Christianity. When you open the New Testament, it's really not like that. It's, if, it's not, if you just have this purely vertical orientation where it's just me and God and I don't need people and I can do this church thing on my own, I don't need a bunch of Christian friends, I'm good. It sets you up to be alone. Bad attitudes. It's how we become legalistic and, and um, can promote legalism and, and um, elitism, racism, judgmentalism, me firstism. I don't know if this is really true. God's going to get them You know, like... Um, I could say, you know, God's going to get them ism. They're the sinners. I'm the good one. And, but when you read the New Testament uh, and joining a, a body of believers and followers, it's just not true. That's just not how it was meant to be. Jesus didn't say, stay away from people because God's going to get them. Right? He says, if you want to live your life, live it among people in such a way that people will look at you and go, oh my gosh, wow, look at how they love one another. Look how they carry one another's burdens. Look at all those one another's going on. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? The whole, and this whole God's going to get them thing, we get that, we kind of interpret that from our Old Testament kind of reading of the Old Covenant, and then um, we don't really fully understand everything that was going on sometimes, and we import that into our new covenant. But Jesus came and said, here's a new way of living. So I want to take us to a, a passage in Scripture in the New Testament. It's the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews, we don't really know who the writer of Hebrews was, but we know it was written to Jews who had converted to Christianity in the first century. 
And as we read, I want you to notice how we look to the vertical, but there's also this horizontal look in how this is to live out. So we're going to look through those scriptures here. It starts with uh, verse 19. And uh, the writer says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now he's this, I'm, I said he, but we don't really know who wrote it. Probably a guy because um, girls didn't have much voice then, but um, they were writing to Jews. And so when they see this terminology and they're talking about um, the holy place, they know that there the holy place was inside the temple and only priests had access to the temple. And they would know since they converted to Christianity what happened. And when Jesus was sacrificed, when Jesus was crucified, that because of that, everyone now had access to God, no longer just the priests in the temple. Jesus came and replaced the whole temple system. And then it said, verse 20, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And we've, maybe we've talked about this before, maybe you know or don't know, the curtain was an actual curtain in the temple that separated. Um, it was in front of the holy place. Um, but Jesus came and ripped the temple, uh, ripped the curtain in two. And now we have access to that. He was the final sacrifice. Everybody who read this in the first century, the Jews knew what they were talking about. And by this new way was through his body. And his body that he talked about was the body of Christ. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 21, now we have access to God through Christ. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Again, vertical, talking about me and God, prayer, cleansing my heart, wash. And then he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And he says, let, it, let us, we together hold unswervingly, unwaveringly so that, you know, he's like, okay, this is good. We went from vertical, but now all of us together, we don't need a priest anymore. We can hold unswervingly together. And then he gets specific. He says, let us consider, let's give careful attention. And for just a minute, I want you to think for just a minute. Let us consider, let you consider your life right now. You are in this space right now. You have your own set of priorities, your own obligations, your own responsibilities in life. I know when you leave here, you're getting ready for the next week. I know you've got a whole list of things you have to accomplish. I get it. I'm a mother of two kids. I understand and a wife, um, and he's easy, but still, you know, there's a lot to this. So, but, but he says here, let us consider, let's give careful attention to how we may spur one another on. What is our responsibility? How are we going to spur one another on? So it's very relational, and the term spur is very interesting. He says, in your relationships with other believers within the church, with the people you know who are doing their best to follow Jesus, how are you going to spur them? I want you to stir each other up. I want you to irritate one another. I mean, a spur isn't super comfortable, right? So he uses that word, spur one another on. It's not always easy to meet together, to be in one another's lives. But he said, I want you to do this. I want you to be in each other's life to the point when you see that friend drifting, you have permission to step in. 
Or when you see that couple struggling, you have access to that couple. Or that, that your friend's son who's, who's been drifting from the faith and the dad doesn't know what to say, you have access to that son. You have access to that dad. I want you to be in relationship with such a way that you're able to spur each other on positively at times and even times when it becomes a little negative. I want you to be in relationship with one another. Prayer is great. You have access to God. You can do that, do that now. But spur one another on. And then he says, how, he says, toward love and good deeds. Toward something very practical to loving each other and good deeds. This is his belief in action. He's, you need to get on the bike. It looks great in the corner. You need to get on the treadmill and use it and act on it. Simply knowing and believing is not going to do anything for you. It's the action that does it. Doing is what makes the difference. So that you have people who are, who are uh, getting in your face, who says, you know, are you actually forgiving the person that you have this rift with? Are you actually apologizing to her rather than just thinking you will? So you're actually putting others first or, or um, putting your relationship with God first. And then the author of Hebrews goes on to this next phrase, and it's really interesting to me that they wrote it then, and it was for first century, and it is true today. It says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. They had just started the church, and they had already given up meeting. As some are in the habit of doing. And I think, gosh, that must, that's crazy. So this has been a problem all the time since the church started. Every pastor in every church is like, how do I get people to continue to meet together? Because it's hard. If you have ever met with people who are very different than you, it is hard. Amen? Come on, you know I'm right. Now, I know when you read, when I read that, I know you might read that too, um, we might have heard that verse and say that means I need to come to church, right? I need to, I need to come to church and I need to sit in rows. Um, but I don't think that's what the author is saying to, saying to us based on what was before and what comes after here. And he's saying, you can't afford to stop meeting together because you need to meet each other on. And if you're not in community with other believers and you're not in people's lives encouraging one another, there's going to be something missing and it may eventually impact your faith in me. He would say to the, those of us who feel like I can be a lone ranger, I can be a, a lone Christian, and I don't need other people, and, and I got this whole faith thing on my own, he'd say, if you think that's true, then you're not reading what the Apostle Paul wrote or what Jesus himself would say. I, I would think you, they would say, you don't even understand the Christian faith. This is a one another thing. You never mature past the point of needing one another. Never. Never stop meeting together. You're never too old for it. You're never too mature. And there is this divinely designed correlation between community and faithfulness to God. They're connected. They're divinely designed to work together. Community and my faithfulness to God. Not just sitting in rows because rows don't know. It's circles. It's in the smaller groups of time and people that we can get to know each other. And this is for a couple reasons. And we already know, in fact, for, uh, for some, of, some of us in this room today, there have been points in your lives when you've drifted away from the church or you are just maybe coming back to the church. But it started 
Your drifting started when you lost connection with other people. Suddenly, you were in a group, and the people in your group really got on your nerves, and it was really too difficult to meet. Or whatever happened, maybe it's a painful experience, and you just disassociated, and you removed yourself from community. Or maybe you moved to a new town, or, you, or your best friends moved away, and you're just not surrounded by people of faith anymore. You will begin to drift. Students, man, you stop coming to, you stop coming to youth, uh, youth group events. You stop coming to small groups. You stop coming to Bible study. It will be very easy for you to drift from your faithfulness in God. But then there's this other thing that goes on, this other thing that's happening here, and I think might even be more compelling. Um, at the end of Jesus's ministry, he was in the upper room. This was before he, um, before he gave the Great Commission. He was in the upper room, and um, he's with all of his, uh, his disciples up there. And in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14, he, he writes a that we hear this story, but he's talking to them about leaving and he's explaining he's going to leave, but then he's going to come back and he's going to prepare a place. And, and, and we read it. And I think if we were sitting in the room that night, we might've been confused. I mean, he's covering a lot of stuff. So Philip is one of the disciples in the room with him. And he, he says, okay, um, he didn't really say exactly this, but I've got this scripture up there. He says, okay, Jesus, just wait. Okay. Can you just show us the father? Like, this is great. This is a lot of information. And you've said a lot of really confusing things. And you're going to go, but then you're coming, and you're going to prepare a place. But we can't go, but we're going to go later. You know, can, can we just see the Father? And then Jesus says, Philip, have I not been with you long enough that you're able to recognize who I am? And he says this. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And we might read past that and like, oh, that's cool. They've seen. They didn't get it though. They didn't understand. And it, it, Jesus is like, I, in this life, I am as close as you will ever get to seeing or understanding God. If you look past me, you're looking past God. If you stop short of me, you're stopping short of God. I am as clear of a picture as you will ever get to understanding the Father. And then Jesus is crucified and he's raised from the dead and he commissions the church. And he says, oh, by the way, after my physical body is gone, you church will be my body. You will be the representation of me. People will have access to God. They will see God through you because you collectively are my body. In other words, we, one another's together, not individually, together, is how we experience God. And Jesus would say in one of the really most incredible uh, parables, he would say there's going to be a time when you're going to have an opportunity to take care of one another. And then you're going to look around and you're, and you're going to see people who are in need. You're going to see people who are just desperate and lonely and on the margins. And then he's going to say, you took care of me then. And we're going to, when did we see you? In prison, and when did we see you naked? When did we see you hurting or on the margins or sitting at the lunchroom table all alone or, or brand new to town or walking on the street? When did we see you in distress? And Jesus will say, as we read in Matthew 25, 40, he said, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. So wait, you mean the way we treat others is an indicator of how well we will treat you? And Jesus says, yeah, because you're my body. And the moral of the story for us is, is that Jesus gave us each other. 
one another in order to be with him. If you isolate yourself from the body of Christ, if you isolate yourself from the church, I'm confident eventually you will feel isolated from the Father. And this might be some of the reasons why you've personally left the church and maybe you've come back. Maybe your story is just that you just got isolated from the body. You're thinking, I can continue to do this on my own, but it gets hard to do it on our own. We're called to bear one another's gifts. And it's a big deal because not only is it help you and your faith, but you are here for others. You have no idea the important role that you play in the person right next to you's whole journey. We look at you, we see God in us. Now, little sidebar, and I think this is something we have to remember, is that when we meet with people who are different than us, sometimes they rub us the wrong way. Or we have preconceived notions about people because of things they say or things they might act. But I'm going to say something, and we're going to read it. I'm going to read it twice, but maybe this statement makes sense to you. The people who think they're better than other people haven't taken the time to hear the stories of the people they think they're better than. It's kind of, I'm going to say it again. The people who think they're better than other people, they just haven't taken the time to hear the stories of the people they think they're better than. In other words, story, hearing one another's story gives us insight into people's lives. How many times have you sat and heard, I mean, really heard and listened to someone's story who was so different from you, and you had this aha moment like, oh, that's why they act that way. Oh, I get it. Had I grown up in that house, I probably would have turned out the same way. Had I had that kind of experience in my life, I might be behaving the same way. Odds are, odds are, if you haven't experienced that, you haven't fully experienced being in a group. When we hear other people's story, it's what brings people together. The, the church in the first century, when it started, they were, they were coming together. They were Jews and Gentiles. Women and men, had the, they were equal in the church, right? Um, slaves and free were equal. You want to talk about different stories and different people. I mean, this was radical, radical. This, they weren't doing this then, but they had one thing in common. It was Jesus. And it was, it was new, and it was radical, and it was so unusual, and it was so powerful. And it's why we are here today, because they didn't give up meeting together, because they continued on in the faith. It is meant to be a one-on-another thing. So he says, let's not give up meeting together, as some are the habit of doing. But when we do, we are to encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. He says, every single believer, no matter how strongly you believe, you need to be in relationship. You are to be with people who are encouraging you and who you are encouraging. And what does that word encourage mean? It means to instill courage. To instill courage. Why? Because it takes courage to live out your faith. It doesn't take courage to just believe. It takes courage to behave publicly what you believe privately. It takes courage to be a follower of Jesus in your schools. That is not easy. It takes courage to be a Jesus lover in the workplace. Sometimes it takes even more courage to be a Jesus lover in your family. How many of you have families where it's not readily accessible? People, Jesus isn't really a, a, a welcome conversation topic. 
It takes courage, and we need each other to build each other up into courage, to spur one another on. It is a one another thing. We have to put ourselves in situations where we will have the opportunity to be encouraged when we want it and even when we don't. Because the truth is there are times we need to act in certain ways we just don't want to. And so we need that courage and we need each other. So here's my question for you, and we're going to get real practical here for the next few minutes. As we begin another season, you know, we enter the school year, it's kind of a, a restart time in families, in, in our lives. Um, as summer comes to an end, vacations, here's a question I want to ask you. Is anyone outside of your family spurring you on to live out your faith? Have you allowed yourself Have you intentionally put yourself in a situation where someone outside of your family is spurring you on to live out your faith? Does anyone have permission to speak into your life? Does anyone have access to you? Have you ever experienced that? John spoke a little bit at the beginning of what that was like for us growing up, um, in our marriage growing up, really, in our faith. We went to Lake Michigan a couple weeks ago, and we were with the Becketts, who were a part of that first group. And we were with them for a week, and we got home. And, like, my heart, like, ached a little for how much I missed them. They're an example of someone who I gave access to my life for a very long time. And it didn't happen in rows, because rows don't know. It happened in a circle, in a smaller group. And we will always come back to this. We will always point you to this because I believe that we are to act on what we believe in a circle. So um, what I would like to do for the next few minutes is to walk you through a little bit of what we are going to do over this fall. And um, I know that time is a precious commodity and last week, we, we talked about this, and I know, I, I know that you don't have time for this. I know you don't have time. I get it. But I, I think that um, you need to make time. I don't very often do the whole you need to. I need to. We need to. It is that important. So um, what I would like to do is, um, if you would, take out your phones. I have my phone. Oh, So if you have a phone, you're going to get it ready because we're going to use it here in just a minute. Here's one thing I know for sure. I know that meeting together is hard and it can be awkward sometimes. If you've never experienced meeting with people outside of Sunday morning, we know that you might go, I don't even know what to do or how that, or how that works. So for this fall, we have several uh, ways for you to come here to this building, and we are going to teach you, model for you, walk with you how to meet together, okay? And so there are several opportunities. I'm going to have Brent, uh, Brent put those up on the screen. So Sunday, beginning on Sunday mornings, I don't know your schedule. I don't know your life. I'm just going to briefly tell you about this, and then I'm going to show you how to find it. 
on Sunday mornings before worship. So we started at 10.30. At 8.30 Sunday mornings, we have something called Bible Immersion Hour, and Paul Erickson is going to be leading that again. We're going to meet here. It's for adults for about an hour-ish, um, and we're going to read the Bible together. And uh, so you can get more information on that. That starts September 1st. And then Tuesdays, John talked about, we're going to meet here. The idea is that um, we're going to meet in this space so as many people can come as they want. We're going to have childcare. We don't have that all figured out yet, but we're going to have teenagers and some adults who are willing to come and watch kiddos so we can learn how to intentionally disciple Jesus in this place. And then on Wednesdays, we have uh, youth and high school. In fact, Eric, would you mind coming up here for just a quick second? Um, something I just talked to him this morning, and I wasn't sure how to, how to share this, but I feel like this is something that God is doing in us, and I feel like this is a really cool story for us to share as we meet together throughout the week in smaller groups. So, Eric, t- a little bit about our Wednesday night. What's going on? So, um, this year we're starting a new thing-ish, new, new-ish. Um, we have... Uh, gathered with some area churches, and last year I started meeting with some youth pastors of different churches and found that we had some overlap with kids back and forth, and we decided to start a, uh, a high school ministry. Um, this is what you want me to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. just want to make sure I'm telling the right story, mm-hmm. um, depending on what Wednesday it is. Uh, anyway, so we are going to have our middle school groups meet here. Um, the high school kids will be meeting at the Presbyterian Church. They have a youth house, and they, as I met them and we talked, they have a youth facility, and it's painted green, so we're going to call it the greenhouse. But they only had um, one family that had two kids that were in high school age and no youth group, but they had this awesome building. And um, we have high school kids who needed a space from the, the crazy, chaotic middle school kids which are more like me. But the uh, anyway, it just worked out. We met this past Wednesday. There's four churches for sure and a two more that might enter into doing an El Dorado high school group that will be kids from all over that would join together on Wednesday nights. Um, and it's pretty cool. Um, and you talk about spurring, rubbing each other the wrong way. We, we don't all, um, the churches don't all agree on like issues like how do you baptize and is it okay for women to lead and is... Um, you know, other stuff, right? Uh, but we decided that we're going to try to do this together so that the students of El Dorado who go to Circle or Flint Hills or El Dorado High School um, will know that they're not alone in their journey of faith. And if they see each other at a football game or at a party, they can go, hey, I know that you know differently about how to live out your faith. Um, rather than being divided, we want to bring them together so the students can be empowered to walk for Jesus in the school hallways at parties and um, definitely together as a small group on Wednesday nights. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. Yes, big kingdom vision, right? We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. So thank you, Eric, for for doing that. On Thursdays in September, we'll start uh, something called Freedom Basics. You can learn more about that, but more of like a healing ministry, a healing uh, class on breaking the ba- uh, chains and bondage from past wounds and hurts. And um, so those are just some things coming up. Students on Wednesday nights, Hope Kids, uh, our little ones, K through 5 on Sunday mornings. 
But here's how I want you to do I want you to open up your phone real quick. Just, just, we're going to do it right now, okay? And um, Brent, if you would go to that next slide. So I want you to search for Church Center, and it's on the App Store. This is the iPhone App Store. Google Play also has it, but I don't have an Android. So these are my screenshots. And if you go onto the App Store, you can see the Church Center app. It's under Lifestyle. And you're going to open that up and install it. And then that is the front page of our app. Now, this is why I feel this is important. Um, when we leave here, if you don't know where to go to find out dates and times for things to start, everything is located on here and on our, our website as well. But this is going to be the best way for us to communicate with each other. So you get it on the app. You search for Hope Covenant. That's our main page. On the bottom part of the app, there's a place called Groups. This is what we're talking about today, Groups. So if you were to click on groups, you would go to the next one on the left side. And you will see first on top, you'll see a list of all the groups you're currently a part of at Hope Covenant. And if there's nothing there, it means you haven't found a group to be a part of yet. And so then if you scroll to the bottom, the very next, you don't have to leave yet, you'll see a place that'll say find a group. And then we have groups available. We've grouped them by areas, so children, youth, and phase groups, this is how we're going to connect parents and families. So anyone who has kids in their home that are age 18 and under, we have created phase groups. And in that, we've supplied you with resources to connect with your kids at different ages and stages in life. And then there's adult small groups. So if you were to click on the adult small groups, it would open up to this one page and you would see Freedom Basics, which is Thursdays. And right underneath that is Intentional Discipleship. And underneath that, it would say the other smaller groups that we have. And so then you would click on, let's go to, the, we'll go to the next one, Intentional Discipleship. And so then I went to Intentional Discipleship and it tells you a little bit about it. This is the other really important part here. You scroll down, you see upcoming events, you want to know what's going on. You click the view all events, and then the very next one comes up, and you can see everything and the little button subscribe. And if you click the button subscribe, the group you are a part of, you can now integrate to your own calendar. So if you use iCal or you use Google Calendar or whatever else, Microsoft, Outlook, whatever, um, you can click that and all of the dates for that group you are a part of will be integrated into your calendar so you know when it is. Now, that, this might seem very technical, and like you might be like, why am I hearing this? But this is how we are going to connect you. This is how we communicate with you. So if we go to the next slide, if you were to search for groups and you found a youth, it would say Hope Youth Aftershock. Same thing. It would give us information, scroll down, upcoming events, view all, and you can see all of the events that we have coming up. So if you're a parent or you have kids, you're overseeing kids in middle school or high school, and you want to know what to expect, you go to the app, look there, and um, you can find it. Now, this is also all available online as well. I'm just showing you the easiest way that it can ha you can have access to it right here. I know that's a lot of information. Um, one more thing before we go. And um, I was going to pass those out now. We're going to wait. Yeah. Um, we have parent folders family folders um, for everyone who has uh, oversight care of kids in your home. One of the most important circles that you can lead 
as a, as a family is the circle that begins in your home. How we love and lead those who God has put into our care in our home. And we have a way to help you with that, to encourage you, to spur you on in that. And so we have these folders, which we will have available um, in the back of the room when we get done today. I know that was a lot of information. Um, if I could have Eric and the worship team come up here, we'll get ready to collect our offering. Eric, that was your cue. Yeah, okay. Um, if for some reason you do not have access to a smartphone or a phone that gives you all that information, on your bulletin today, we have a Connect card. When the offering baskets come around here in just a moment after the ushers come forward, you can tear off this card on the back. If, if one of these groups we've talked about, the Intentional Discipleship Group, or Sunday Morning Bible Immersion Hour, or you're interested in Freedom Basics, if one of those has connected with you, you want to know more, just write it on the back of this card and let us know, and we will reach out to you this week. You do not have to have technology to follow along, um, but we want to be sure to connect you if that is something that is of interest to you. This fall, if you have not ever done this, if you have never ventured out into meeting with people in a smaller group, give it a shot. Give it a shot. I, I, what I said last week, and I want to just say it again, um, I, you might be dying for this and you don't even know it. Things don't make sense. You can't quite figure it out. Try something new. I do not think you'll regret it because rows don't know. It's in circles where we grow. Amen? Let us pray. God, we just thank you for this place. We thank you for the model that you gave us for meeting together, for spurring one another on, for encouraging one another. Thank you for your people. Thank you for uh, loving each and every one of us exactly as we are. Thank you for speaking to our, in our lives through our stories and for giving us place to, to uh, encounter you. Thank you for making yourself known and revealing yourself through your beloved. This morning as we give our, our tithes and our offerings, as we find ways, as we pray about ways of connecting with people, um, God, I just pray that you make a way where there might not seem a way in our time where we might not have made the priority to put others um, in our lives, to put you in our lives. We just pray that you make a way. Give us the courage to do that. Give us the courage and the strength to say no where we need to say no and yes where we need to say yes. We ask that you bless the offering this morning as we give back to you what is rightly yours. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.